0: And welcome to Pints in Politics, the Thursday, May 21st edition. and Politics is a weekly discussion program of all things political, coming to you through the facilities of Trent Radio, CFFF in Peterborough, Ontario, 92.7 on your FM dial. My name is Bill Templeman. This is our 19th show of the year. We're on air every Thursday at 8 p.m. This program was recorded online last Friday, May 15th. At the end of the program, I'll give out our podcast site and social media addresses. Joining me for this online discussion of what's going on in the world of politics during the pandemic, is our veteran politics panel. Regular listeners will recognize them. Uh, First, we have property manager and businesswoman, Jenny Lancio. Then we have Curve Lake uh, First Nation Councillor and Ontario NDP Indigenous Peoples Committee Chair, Sean Conway. Then playwright and math teacher. Tim Etherington, then we have Peterborough this week journalist and former mayor of Peterborough Sylvia Sutherland, and uh, closing out the list campaign manager and consultant Lauren Hunter. So thanks to everyone for joining me today. Now usually or I should say normally, now that in itself is becoming a loaded word as this pandemic rolls on. But anyway, normally, I send a list of questions before each of these panels to give us a few focus points from which to launch our uh, explorations. And I've done that again this program. But given the changes that are emerging around us in the political world as this pandemic continues, I thought maybe a better starting point might be to ask each of you, what are the top issues you want us to tackle today? So l- let me mark model what I'm asking you to do. So for for Bill, before the end of the program, I'd like us to at least touch on the following, and I've got five bullets here. How do we judge the government's response to the pandemic, provincially and federally, both from a policy standpoint and a political perspective? That's one. How is the ongoing chaos in American politics affecting us in this country? That's two. My third is, what are the best models currently on offer for how government should respond to the pandemic? That's my third. I've got two more, but they're sort of cheats. How are our federal political parties doing in their respective responses? And I guess the last one is important. What should we focus on in Peterborough as restrictions but those are just mine what about sean what's on the top of your list well i think um
1: i think we're probably going to get there in some of the uh, items you identified but I think looking at the federal response to the pandemic uh, can be looked at in a number of different ways. The first being, um, what did they get right? What have, what are they continuing to get right? Uh, What is the role of the minority parliament in carrying out some of the expansions and shortcomings on initial policy offerings? Where are what's next and for how long is, is the federal government prepared to run, basically spend a lot of money. And I hope that they would be confident in spending lots of money for a long time, especially coming out of it. You know, infrastructure is gonna be a huge push. What's the role of the new Canada Infrastructure Bank? We've never really seen it flexed. This might be an opportunity to see if it could be successful yeah, I think I think looking at what's been done well, what's not been done well, and where do they need to go next.
2: Interesting. Yeah. Uh,
0: Lauren, do you have uh, a few?
2: I'm interested as well in the provincial response. I think what we're starting to see now is the provinces start to diverge on their uh, responses and measures to reopen their economies. And that makes sense because the pandemic is at different stages in different provinces, you know, it's uh, one thing to be in PEI with such a small population and on an island that is far easier to control movement in and out of versus being in Ontario or Quebec. But as those responses start to diverge and potentially quite significantly, what does that mean for the country as a whole? Where can the federal government play a leadership role given that it seems pretty clear that the message from the provinces has been, you know, back off. We will handle this ourselves and you know, we only want your uh, assistance in some ways and not in other ways. So I'd be interested in touching on that as well.
0: Jenny, what about you?
3: I think I'd like to talk a little bit about how we feel our municipal government has done through this pandemic and okay. how we think that Peterborough is gonna bounce back from an economic standpoint in this. I think that the, the uh, paper last night said that the calculation is they feel that they've lost 6.9 or something million dollars in revenues thus far because of this pandemic. So I'd like to talk a little bit about that, I think.
4: Uh, yes, indeed. Yeah, Tim. What about you? I'm uh, feeling strangely nostalgic for the first couple of weeks after this crisis hit. Uh, you know, there was this in that state of shock that we felt globally. There, there was a time there where there was a collective sense of let's pull together and let's figure something out. And that's something that we don't we don't do anymore, or maybe we never did. Old yeah. habits are st- old habits are starting to creep back into the body politic. You know, the necessities of electoral. Politics are that you, you have to find a wedge issue. You have to find a point of contrast with the governing party. I mean, that's just the way everyone behaves. I'm really afraid now that we're going to get bogged down. I agree with Sean, you know, we need to spend a lot of money. We're spending a lot of money. There really is no other way out of it. And government's the only institution that can do it. In the long term, we are going to have to address the amount of money we're spending. And you know we really do have to consider something like raising the GST, but in this political environment, how could that possibly be done?
0: Okay, thank you. And Sylvia, is there anything we...
5: Well, I'd like to uh, sort of pick up on what Jenny was saying regarding the local challenges that the, municipality, that the municipal government is going to face uh, when this is over. As you know, governments, uh, municipal government cannot run deficits. After the Depression, there were municipalities, including the one I grew up in Midland, that actually bankrupt. The, nobody has a big heart for raising a lot of taxes but on the other hand what is going to be the response of the federal and provincial governments to the to the challenges faced by municipalities and can we is it reasonable to expect you can avoid a tax, a tax increase and I think on a not a lighter side but um, we might if we have time have a little chat about the political ambitions of the premier of Ontario. <laughs> Ah, okay. Interesting.
0: All right. Well, thank you for those. You know, I've uh, jotted them down. Uh, I think we will cover some of these in the course of covering others. But why don't we start with uh, what's to be in the top of a few of your batting lists here, uh, the federal response. What do we make of it so far? And Sean, I really like your your question. What, what's actually before we start throwing mud?
1: Yeah, I think I think that 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 a number of things that the federal government is, has begrudgingly been, I think, moved into. I think were the right things to do. I think that still that universality that was discussed from other opposition parties in relation to the Serb. The discrepancy between the CESB uh, uh, to the CERB, I think, was, a you know, offering something to students at all, I think, was very good. Uh, however, it should not be different than the, the CERB itself. But I think right off the bat, it was a great nation-building exercise for the federal government. You know, they say never waste a crisis, but the, the federal government did very well in the beginning, uh, back in... You know, late February, early March, and into April about letting public health lead the way. And Dr. Tam has done a great job, I think, in providing that professional opinion. And again, no one's going to get anything right off the bat. This is a completely unprecedented situation that. Most uh, municipalities, provinces, their pandemic and emergency management measures were nowhere near prepared for this level of uh, interruption. So I think what the federal government with bringing public health out to the forefront, especially at that federal level, I think was a very smart move. Uh, It would have been pretty interesting to see the... The negotiations that, that would have happened between the liberals and other parties in negotiating who got the CERB. I, st- I still believe that, that the only way for it to be truly representative of, I think what the intention is, is for that universality to be rolled out. You know, there's still thousands upon thousands of people who are not receiving income, who are completely left out through the CERB process and, um, and it, it's really it's really difficult to see those stories come in, and I have a lot of friends who are working in the shelter system in Toronto right now, and it's just absolutely devastating. And you know, it's it's really unfortunate that those people were left behind.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. So you you say that on this program two weeks ago, we had uh, Megan Hennicamp and Christian Harvey from uh, Yes Shelter and uh, One City Peterborough, respectively. And they were saying the same thing, that uh, for the homeless in Peterborough, this this is is brutal. I mean, they have nowhere to go. I mean, apart from the uh, wellness center, it's uh, it, it's very grim.
4: We can't, rely, we can't rely on government to do everything, and, and you know, there, there's a... There's an underground economy out there that exists on the street, panhandling, busking, prostitution, Mm -hmm. that authorities sort of, you know, turn an eye, you know, they try to avoid and not think about it. It's those people, the people who make their money off the street who have really fallen through the cracks.
3: When, you know, when people live in a constant cycle of of poverty, quite honestly, not to make light of this pandemic, but COVID is really like the least of their concerns. There is about... 10 yes. other things that could kill them faster than that, just from where they have to sleep, the fact that they don't have proper nutrition, the fact that they're a sex worker or an active addiction. Really, this this pandemic is kind of negligible in their, you know, in the world that they try to survive in every day. And then when we take away the support systems that were already in place for them, what are they supposed to do? Yes. Yes. If we can go back.
5: Um, how the, the federal government is at right now handling this situation. They, they may benefit, undoubtedly benefit, comparison, and we all see it every day, and I see far too much of it because I can't resist. <laughs> we have here both, uh, I think, at all three levels of government in, in, in Peterborough, uh, federally, provincially, and municipally, we have leaders who are attempting, certainly provincially and federally, on a daily basis to talk to us, who are listening mm-hmm. to the scientists, who are listening mm-hmm. to their public health, people, who are giving some some direction. We may disagree uh, with some of it. If I was, for example, living right now in Quebec, I'd have real concerns about mm-hmm. the speed with which they are opening that province up. And I may have some minor concerns even in a Ontario, But I I think by comparison that our federal leaders, our provincial leaders, our municipal leaders are, you know, our people appreciate the fact that they are doing what they are doing, how they're doing it.
0: Now, Lauren, you referenced the various provincial government response and asked the question, where can the feds? play a leadership role because some, many of the provinces are saying, uh, you know, back up, we'll handle this, we'll call you when we need you. What's your sense of all that, how that's playing out?
2: I think that there's still, even though some of the information has started to slow down, I know there was a lot of information overload at the beginning. I mean, there still is so much coming out. And while Obviously, you know what province you live in and who you're looking to for your guidelines. As things start to diverge in different provinces and we start comparing responses and the path to reopening economies, I think there's a possibility for some confusion and more tension in, in the Federation as to how those things are happening. And I. I think that the federal government has been trying to play a leadership role and I think they're being taken up on that by some provinces and not by others. Uh, And so that information starts to change and directions to people in different provinces. You know, if some are able to start having family bubbles of two, right, so you can join with another household perhaps and be able to see them and, and nobody else other provinces and folks in other places are going to start getting antsy to do the same thing when their situation might be completely different it doesn't actually make sense in ontario for us to move to that yet um, but it just increases the pressure on the politicians here and to the health officials uh, to start moving towards that and opening it up so i i'm a little concerned i guess is mostly what i'm expressing a little worried about that
5: yeah, there's yeah. Only, so much, there only, uh, it's only so often you come before and promise another group more money, or money, and, and that has been the message up till now, certainly federally. And, and I think Lauren's right. I mean, my temptation, a friend and I are tempted to drive to Manitoba to get our hair cut. How <laughs> 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 come I get one in Winnipeg or, or Brandon, but not in uh, Peter? And I understand why not. But, uh, yeah, you're right. As people look elsewhere, not considering the conditions, necessarily in New Brunswick or PEI, where they've been very good at containing it for obvious reasons, I think, mm-hmm. uh, in the case of VEI, uh, you know, they're saying, gee whiz, well, I can't, but you're right. And, but on the other hand, I think, well, anyway, I won't say what I think otherwise I'll listen to someone else.
4: <laughs>
0: no, no, no. Yeah. Don't, uh... Don't hold back, Sylvia. <laughs> I,
4: want, I want to know if I can get on the road trip with Sylvia. I think driving through a whole day of Northern Ontario with Sylvia would be a blast. <laughs> well,
5: yeah, we could
4: use it. <laughs> see, see the goose at Wawa? Uh... Yeah. yeah,
5: all
4: of it. For those
1: driving through Northern Ontario right now, tuning into the radio program, if you uh, <laughs> just just pass the, the big goose, there's an old country store, and it's they sell wonderful kosher pickles in an old-fashioned pickle barrel. <laughs> well,
5: a recent shop that is the last place I thought I would find kosher, kosher
0: pickles. Pickle. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Now The coffee was awful. I am not a uh, a money expert in the least, but there was, uh, I forget who mentioned, oh, it's Sean mentioned it. How long can the federal government run this deficit? I mean, I remember asking my mother, she died, she died 10 years ago, but I said, the years immediately before I was born, and she said, you know, in the depression, there was no money, it was, everyone was having a hard time, and then the war came, and suddenly... Everyone had money. So, how, how long can we
5: we keep doing this? That, that's a very good, that's a very good point. And uh, during the uh, and also though, also faces, as my mother did and my grandparents, they also faced the fact that there was no uh, certainly in this country no real social safety net either. Yes, uh, the, uh, you know that uh, that Bennett and and Roosevelt brought in uh, during the depression weren't there during the depression and. Uh, uh, I have asked myself the same question. It's almost there's a little printing press there and and the other thing is what is going to happen so far as inflation is concerned you know as a result of what of the the large is being shown necessarily but it's being shown now. I think you know we have to worry about the the impact of inflation after this is over too.
0: Yes, and to thoroughly depress us, being a bit geekish about this stuff, I watched a, uh, a YouTube clip from Nouriel Roubini, the uh, economist. And he's a prof in, in the states who uh, co- predicted the uh, 2008 debacle, and he was saying we we could be on the brink of
5: a depression, like well, a great a depression, lot of the brink of of a, of another great depression. And um, I don't, none of us, only are those who are alive and were adults during that period. I guess if you were a kid, you probably would remember some of it. I don't think really like pe- people fully appreciate a, what a horrible, desperate time that was for so many oh, people.
0: Yeah, yes. It's almost like a bad dream. We, we tend to force it, force
4: it out of the national memory. The additional thing, too, when we talk about the Depression and the war saving us from the Depression, that's a North American experience. And I'm, I'm not talking about the, the devastation of the war. But you know, it took until England started developing the North Sea oil in the, in the what the 70s. Yes, uh, they were they were near bankruptcy for a couple decades, and the U.S. kept bailing them out. You know, there, it was an uneven distribution of wealth generated by the Second World War, and there's no place on earth right now other than Jeff Bezos' bank account that's that's profiting right now. So I think if we're optimistic and it's managed properly. We're looking at several years of, of pain, slow growth as we try to, as Sylvia said, avoid inflation, because if you flood too much money into the market, these low interest rates, that's precisely what's going to happen. And, and then we're actually in a lot of trouble, because if you got to start raising interest rates to combat inflation, All the debt we're piling up now has suddenly become very, very uh, expensive. Not just government debt, but personal debt. People are filling up their credit cards right now.
1: I I was going to touch on a a Trudeau policy that I'm actually anxious to see in action. So maybe you want to talk about it. Do you know what I'm going to talk about?
2: No, I will just say quickly, I wonder, I mean we're not the only country in this boat in terms of spending the necessary money to create stronger social safety nets under people right now. And so I turn, I haven't been paying attention to uh, like the per capita spending that's happening in other countries, especially in other developed nations to figure out where are we in that mix? Because if we're not the only ones going through this, then I think there's an international conversation an international monetary policy conversation that needs to happen. And I don't have enough information for that, but that could be one way that we uh, look to get ourselves out of some of this.
5: Yeah, and if I just just before, Sean comes on in re- response to, to Lauren. Uh, I, I agree with what should happen in international discussion, but unless there's a change of government in the United States before that happens, at the moment they don't seem much interested in playing ball internationally, and that worries me on yes, and,
0: and parenthetically, If we had a 10-hour program, we could fully explore this. Coming out of the Depression and World War II, of course, there was a a dominant global leader, or at least several dominant global leaders. Well, now one of those leaders is uh, MIA, missing in action, and we have China. And what does that Uh, world look like?
5: Maybe a change of government, one can hope, in the United States in November, with this attitude.
0: Sean, I'm sorry, I cut you off. I think that... I think there's a
1: lot of good being said on how we come out of this and sort of a macroeconomic understanding of how Canada operates. Yes, international collaboration is going to be important, but we're going to have to look at how much of our international trade and financing agreements are going to be based around resource extraction. Because if we have domestic policy that's based around a reduction of resource extraction, But international markets will see Canada as a raw resource extraction economy. Will we have to kick back up those into high gear in order to participate in that sort of big economic recovery? The other point being that a good way for governments to sort of come out of these sorts of things, if we look to 2008, Canada did relatively well compared to the rest of the Western world during the recession, because Stephen Harper put a lot of money into infrastructure. And, you know, if there's one thing that's going to make anyone really, really popular, it's repaving roads, building bridges, building houses. You know, CMHC is still mandated to build a bazillion houses but beyond that, I think that there's real opportunities to kickstart those regional, like, you can, regional economies in ways like wastewater treatment systems, uh, new water treatment systems. We're looking at rolling out uh, new telecommunications things. Uh, the Eastern Ontario Wardens Caucus, I think, really in this area has been pretty impressive in their ability to roll out new cellular and telecommunications infrastructure in this area. I think that when those things start cooking, at least regionally, I see I see a lot of room for uh, not only economic recovery, but economic growth. So if governments alongside the private sector, as much as I hate to boost the private sector, but the private sector is going to be really instrumental in getting a lot of these big infrastructure projects off the ground. So let's focus on that sort of like, oh my goodness, I've got a screaming child.
0: Not quite an angry taxpayer yet, yes.
1: No, you know, and but but that's it. It's it's big infrastructure is what's gonna get us out. And, you know, sort of me from a local government point of view if, if I were in local government right now, I'd start making a wish list and and yeah. get ready for that because mm-hmm. that's, that's what we have to be ready for.
5: Well, so the second thing I think politically local government could do is, if doing now is start fixing the road. Ugh. I don't mean that facetiously. I mean, it's visible. It's there. People see things being done. But, you know, the uh, infrastructure, the infrastructure projects, going back, and I hate to keep doing this, but going back to the New Deal where, in fact, it was putting people to work in, uh, in the Civilian Conservation Corps, in the public, in the PWA, et cetera. But in the end, the economists looked at all those years in the 30s. And, in fact, that did not get the states out of the Depression. It was the war that did. But right. What it did do was put people to work, and it gave people hope. <laughs> what,
3: is the, sorry, what is the tipping point, then, between... So the economy has essentially been closed down for nine weeks, right? And we're talking about how it's going to take Two years to get us back on track so what is the tipping point at which we say you know what like we're, we have to open up the economy and let the chips fall where they may and whatever happens, happens as far as wellness goes
4: with people. There is, a, <laughs> sure. I can back on that a bit. There there actually is no choice that way because if we get it wrong and we open prematurely, the economic That's devastation right. will be three, fourfold. We right. have to be careful. Can I just pick up on something that Sylvia said though about the new deal? Because there's like, there's two phases to it, right? There's the early part of the 30s yeah. afterwards, who got elected and he put all the money in, and then and he got worried and worried about the deficit. So then he got worried about the deficit around 37 and yes, introduced austerity. But we have a more recent example. We have a more recent example uh, that Sylvia would know well because she was in government then, and that was the Kretschien administration uh, in the recession of the early 90s. It's one of the very first things the Kretschien government did. And I remember because I took a road trip out west the summer after Kretzian was elected. And it wasn't my first time. Fascinated. I didn't ask you, Sylvia. Well, you were the mayor then, I think. or you were maybe <laughs> okay. Sorry is about is thing in politics. I lost in 1991.
5: Jack oh, had, okay.
4: Jack had to face it. for you in 91. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Anyway, I took a road trip. One of the things that was remarkable from the last time I'd gone is how much construction there was all across the country. Roads were being built and things were being done. And, you know, it, it, it has a long-term payoff because not right. only do you employ people, but, you know, the, you know, the New Deal built all the airports and the hydroelectric grid in the States. I mean, the Queen Elizabeth Expressway in Canada was built as a New Deal project. The, 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 the other
5: thing stuff. the New Deal invested in were, were the art. Ah. Yeah,
4: which, of course, are a great multiplier of income.
5: Now, will any of
0: this uh, infrastructure work or any infrastructure money be possibly... Sp- Bent on the crying need, uh, from C to C to C, for improved housing, more affordable housing, more more housing of all types.
2: I certainly hope that it will, although I just want to say a a bit of a counterpoint here to the push on the panel for infrastructure spending, which is that there have been economists like Mike Moffitt who've done some work around exactly where and how the jobs were lost. And certainly in the first part uh, of this in April, most of the jobs were being lost uh, by women, and they were not necessarily in the construction sector and in sectors that would be directly influenced by infrastructure spending. And so I know that that is leveled out somewhat, that as it dragged on, uh, more men were losing hours and losing jobs. But I don't know that infrastructure spending alone is going to be the thing that lifts us out of an economic uh, recession or depression the way it has in times past. Because I think the makeup of where the jobs have been lost and where the economic crunch is happening is quite a bit different than it has been in the past
4: situation there Lauren you're right about that is we just can't assume the economy is going to return to what it looked like before you know, the, the North American economies have been buoyed by spending. You know, our our, our, our you know, we, we, we manufacture junk, we buy junk, we throw away junk, and we buy more junk, and that's how we all get wealthy. You have to think that some of those habits are going to change afterwards and some of our activities, I particularly think, you know, some of the service industries, the restaurant and bar culture. I mean if they lift the if they lift the um, you know the, the lockdown at some point in another month or two, people are gonna crowd into the, the only cafe on a sweaty Friday night, you know, cheek by jowl with people. And have feel comfortable with that. You know, I was having a
5: conversation the other day with a friend of mine, and she said, "I realized, I recognize all of a sudden, I'm spending less money." And she said, "I'm to question what I was spending it on." So, you know, that that attitude may well carry into uh, whatever happens
4: after this is over. Yesterday, Sylvia with <laughs> someone said the same thing.
0: All right. Now, one of the things that percolating uh, under this discussion is tolerance for maintaining the lockdown. What we're seeing in the states, we're seeing these demonstrations, people saying to hell with this, or you know, waving the American flag, blocking, waving their the
5: rifles at the same time.
0: Exactly. So, where is that pressure here in in uh, this country or this
3: province? Well, I can tell you, I mean, it's no great secret that I am, like, so done with all of this. I mean, I've been fortunate enough that I have been able to continue to work, and I'm very grateful for that. But we service a mainly senior citizen community, and I can tell you that after nine weeks of isolation and bombardment by the media, we are very concerned about the mental health of the people no. that we service. We have, in the past probably two weeks for sure, like we finally said today to all of our tenants, come Tuesday, we are returning to some semblance of normalcy. We have people that have not been out of their apartment 900 square feet, and they live alone in 11 weeks. Wow. Yeah. That's not a healthy, like, that's that's not any healthier than going out in the public. Well, they're in, terrified. Well, if they go out
5: in the public and pick up a virus, I, I know the challenges. Uh, you know, and I'll be 80 in July. I'm uh, elderly. I don't live in a small necessarily a small area in my house, but there really is. You really do miss. And I think you. I think a very good point, Jenny, on the bombardment of the media. I've been making a deliberate point recently. I don't know how long? I can continue it but recently in the column to be positive and in some instances to be lighthearted because uh, it's just so much. There's nothing else practically being covered.
3: No, we we do wellness checks every single day and nine times out of 10, when people open their apartment doors, it's CNN that's on. So not only is it the media, but it's American media. And they are absolutely terrified. We have started to say to them, you know what? You need to change the channel. Yep.
0: Anything,
3: like, if there's yep. anything important that you need to know that affects you personally, we'll let you know. It's a very good
5: murder she, uh, she
3: wrote reruns on every night at 7. Exactly. There you go. Like, anything other than this, like, they are absolutely terrified. Well, no. Tell them to read my column
5: in Peterborough this week. I no, will, for sure.
0: <laughs> now, Jenny and uh, Sylvia, you both expressed an interest in going over exploring the local challenges uh, both from our both for our municipal government and the local economy what do you see going forward could I touch on something shoot sure, sure go ahead
1: um, I just I, I was going to do it in the last segment but it ties into this and I needed to pull up the report this is the benefit of having my laptop in front of me when we do these things. Uh, I'm just I'm just going to cite the June 2019 Perry reports commissioned by Peterborough Public Health and the Labour Council, and also United Way and Workforce Development Board, Trent University. But talking about the employment sectors in the Peterborough area, and talking about what is what does the service industry look like? 50% of all employment in Peterborough is the service industry. Wow, now that's a
0: hundred percent
1: and so if we have bars and restaurants and other things that are going under we're we're going to lose that that employment sector that entire field you know Knowledge and creative, like innovative innovative industries account for about 31%. Manufacturing, construction, trades, and transportation only account for 17% of the employment in the Peterborough area. But, yeah, just, just something to think about for challenges for the municipality and, and, and the area at large.
0: Well, back to municipal government. I mean, what should City Hall be well, contemplating I, 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 or planning? I,
5: I, well, I, I think we're very fortunate uh, to have the uh, PCAT in Peterborough. Uh, they 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 have a, a three stream plan. The economic development people uh, right. they do have a three a short, middle, and long term they're looking at. They have set up a mayor and warden's task force. Uh, and I couldn't believe that there was some opposition to this on City Council. Uh, fortunately, they passed it in the end. But they, they on this task force are people representing all the various sectors: independent business, small business, large business, whatever, you know. And and we have that kind of expertise and brainpower that is looking at what might happen or what perhaps should happen as we ease out of this. Uh, I'm not, I am not I don't know the answer to that I know there are a lot of people hurting there'll be a lot of small businesses, small independent operators well, the large people as well. but I feel for the people who have the restaurant owner and the hairdresser and the and the small shop owner you know and how do we support them because if you look at just one area of the city, the downtown core, which is important to any community, and we've managed to hang on to it in peterborough. but this unless we unless we're very careful this could this could this could be the end of the downtown as we've known it
3: i I'm not sure what the right things are to do going forward after this is all over, but I kind of feel like the council's response to this has been a lost opportunity. oh, there's Kevin. <laughs> kind of feel like it's been a lost opportunity to the city city council. Like I guess my question is like where are they? Well, you know, I feel for them. What okay, what opportunities
5: Jenny do you think they should have picked up? I mean, well, it,
3: I I just kind of think that Go ahead. you know, like whether the mayor has anything to say on a daily basis about what's going on or any new news from the province or any new news federally or anything like that. Like she could at least be having some sort of presence where she's sharing like good news stories from the community, like trying to keep people buoyant. Like I have, you know, friends that run businesses downtown that have asked for things from city hall, like simple things like, you know, parking signage or curbside pickup signage or anything like that. Didn't even get a response.
5: Yeah, well, that's not good. No, You
3: know what I mean? Like, what else are you doing right now? Like, in my mind, dealing with this, this is all you're doing right now. This is your focus.
2: Hang on. She's been on quite a few of the daily press conferences with uh, Dr. Rosanna Salvatera. And I just, I, I hear this, I've heard this complaint about a few local politicians, and no one will be surprised. But I think that. They're, they are out there. I think whether or not they're being covered in the media, well, I think pushing it out their own social media is a different story. And I think the media are doing the best they can given the completely overwhelming amount of information we're getting every day. Right. So I, mean, we, I, I would I push back in, a little bit on that. I live in the
3: downtown core, like as everybody knows, I know who my counselors are. I have heard zero, nothing, not a dip. Okay. Uh, may I just uh, interject a, a
5: couple of things? Sure. First of all, you know, the local media, and it's not their fault, I mean, certainly the printed media has been, has been, you know, they simply don't have the resources that they had at one point. And, it's yes. and secondly, the focus on this uh, from the media point of view has been, and you can understand why, primarily at the federal and and provincial level. And it's probably hard for the local level politician to get a lot of ink to use the old phrase, on this. And I understand, too, the mayor is, uh, you know, maybe she could be more out there, but uh, she's not sitting back twiddling her thumbs. I gather there are virtual meetings with council, with staff. I mean, she's not sitting across the road from me doing nothing.
0: Now, are we due for ipso facto higher local taxes? I mean, it's inevitable, no, municipally, that we're going to
5: see more taxes. I, I think it probably is, although the council doesn't like to admit this. It's going to hurt a lot of people. But uh, I, I don't see how. Uh, if I was a, poli- a local politician right now, I certainly wouldn't be pro- promising no increase.
4: This is the trap we, you know, we. Given ourselves over the rhetoric of small government since the 80s, it's, it, it's become yes. doctrinal, and it, it's going to put us in a bind. I touched on this earlier. Uh, yeah, we probably will have to raise taxes locally, but the federal government and provincial government, it'll have to be a cascade of, of money coming down to bail everybody out. And at a certain point, we do have to address the fact that we've been doing nothing but cutting taxes. You know, and it's not got nothing wrong with tax, but I don't mind taxes get cut. But if I, you know, I've zeroed on this before. You know, the, the damaging macroeconomic decision in Canada was when Harper cut the GST by two percentage points. Wow. As a consumption tax, that really only meant real money to people who spent, you know, thirty, forty thousand dollars on consumable goods after their living expenses. It meant nothing to poor people. Yet it's caused a structural deficit in Canada. And so the easy fix—that's not easy—but the, the the most immediate thing we can do is is bring the GST up a point or two. But just imagine, I mean. The, uh, and, Sean, no dig here, but I'm sure the NDP will disagree with it, too, because they'll see an electoral advantage in it.
5: Well, what, what are the things, one of the things the provincial government could do, I don't know whether they will, but one of the things they could do is take back some of the downloading that an earlier provincial government, of the Saint strike, uh, handed to the municipalities, and the outstanding one, let it be run locally, because the municipal government is the best knowing its own needs, but the funding, for example, for social housing, the province would take that back, that would be a huge help. And
1: other- well, perhaps, touching on what Sylvia is uh, mentioning, a greater discussion on the way that municipalities and cities are legislated should happen. Yes. And perhaps about talking about, well, let's look at some of the bigger cities in Ontario. Maybe we need charter cities. Right. And, um, and we should move away from that model of policing by provinces. And start to give the municipal areas their, their due, where really the action happens in the municipalities. Um, so why don't we give them the autonomy to do so? You know, Toronto tax rates are dreadfully low. It's not a popular popular thing to say, but it, it they're running a shoestring budget for the City of Toronto, which is, the I think, the third largest city in North America. It's... It's ridiculous, and um, we need to be able to empower municipalities to make chart their own course, really, and yeah. to revise those funding formulas coming from the province to remove the that same that that level of politicization that happens in provincial politics against the municipalities. What you can do is if it's regulated at a federal level, or if it's regulated through their own enforcement, then that might solve a lot of those problems when it comes to the ability for cities to generate revenue but also for cities to be able to run deficits. You know, I don't no. know if that's necessarily the right thing to do, but empowering municipalities to chart their own course I don't think is a bad idea. And to touch on what Tim's talking about, you know, sure, I'm sure that, you know, politically any opposition political party is going to oppose any sort of tax hike. But I would say, as the socialist on the panel, that capital gains and wealth taxes are going to be the most effective way, rather than blanket and flat taxes. I think putting more nuance into the into the tax system and adding those, like putting more of a nuance within the tax system is, is going to be the way that we deal with this sort of revenue problem that, that uh, different areas have. But you know, I think it goes back to the promise of the Canada Infrastructure Bank that uh, Justin Trudeau campaigned on in 2014, 15, whenever that was. That was a good idea that mirrors the original usage of the Bank of Canada and Ontario's Provincial Savings Office, which were two great institutions that did assist in a lot of those public purchases and, you know, public procurement that's going to be an interesting way for us to get through things. Is since when has the Minister of Public Procurement been so popular than they are today? You know, you know, scandal notwithstanding.
0: Yes, it's, it's interesting how many people uh, across the uh, economic or up and down the economic pyramid are beginning to sound like socialists. <laughs> you know. What I mean? It, it's quite interesting. Uh, now, we have about... Something that
5: that a, is not a dirty word here. It is in the States, but it is not in Canada.
0: True, but it is within the pages of the Toronto Sun and the National <laughs> Post, and yet those characters, those columnists, are, are you know, they... Are, are are beginning to catch themselves saying things they wouldn't have said three months ago. Now, I have one nasty political question I just want to ask. We have about 10 minutes left, uh, 10, 12 minutes left. Now, is it my biased imagination, or have some of the leading members of Her Majesty's loyal opposition seemed increasingly more strident and out of touch with the general population as this crisis rolls on now i 'm thinking here of sheer polyev, uh, Michelle Rempel, and of course the two leadership candidates. i mean is that just my biased imagination, or has the uh, pandemic rendered the conservative leadership race uh, sort of an irrelevant side show? Does anyone well, there, are, there are
1: four candidates running for leadership though true
2: i think it's your imagination i think it's definitely happening and i have some uh, empathy if you're an opposition party anywhere in canada right now uh government is getting all of the airtime is getting all of the focus and to be an effective opposition member right now is really hard and i think i i would give some kudos to um the new ontario liberal leader stephen del duca who has been trying to um, send out uh you know question period, questions they would have asked and suggestions to Ford in a slightly less a- a aggressive tone as to, you know, here are some things that we think you could do versus attacking and sort of opposing for just the purpose of opposing. Uh, but it's it's tough. That said, I think that that the Conservative Party's decision to let Andrew Scheer stay on as interim leader was an awful decision. Mm. should yes. have picked a new interim a leader. I'm a liberal, and I still think it was a terrible decision. <laughs> For them to have let him become interim leader. do to Lauren. It's
5: going up, but it's not getting much. In. It's not getting much. You're right. It's a terrible time to be in to be in opposition. It's a terrible time to be running for leader of anything. We see a
4: similar thing. We see a similar thing in the states where you know people are saying, "Why isn't Joe Biden out there?" Well, Joe Biden's doing a press some kind of press thing every day. And I'm not defending. I'm just saying that that it's perfect parallel where he's actually giving an interview or podcasting or something every day, but he doesn't have the megaphone Trump has, and everyone can't take their eyes off Trump anywhere. So what do you do? The Biden approach has been, I'm just going to stay straightforward. I'm going to be reasonable, and I'm not going to try to jump the gun here. Andrew Shear has taken a somewhat different tactic.
3: Has, but is is Joe, not to sure. transfer this to American politics, but is Joe Biden just taking the approach of, if I give him enough rope, he'll hang himself?
5: No, he's, that, that, he's having that, there may be an element of that. But he, again, he's having trouble getting any exposure. I've seen yeah. some of the uh, press conferences and dialogues he has had from his basement and uh, his rec room, in should say, But and also I've seen some because I subscribe to a couple of Democratic sites. The Democrats are hearing a lot more from Joe Biden than, than anyone else is because, you know, it, it, but the general public know. And imagine trying to imagine trying to plan a democratic leadership, uh, a democratic national convention uh, right now, and imagine even trying to plan an American election. But um, we do have another potential leadership candidate. Too late for him maybe, but uh, there, there is Mr. Ford, who did suggest uh, last week uh, a, and repeated the suggestion in one sentence. That, uh, that he wasn't prime minister of Canada yet.
3: I would be, I would be shocked if we don't see him uh, flip over to the federal government to head up the Conservative Party. I would be shocked if after this, this time, not what he does.
4: Well, I think he gave her a hint. That's what he wants. I think he's, get, you know, he's probably getting a little high on his supply because he, you know, he he was one of these. <laughs> One of the least <laughs> popular politicians in the country, he has earned the rise in his approval ratings because, as Bill said at the start of the program, he's listened to medical experts. He's still in a honeymoon phase. It's like just getting elected. This is as good as it gets. Well, yeah. it
5: is. He, he has gotten I,
4: away In the last two weeks, he has gotten away with two pretty transparent lies when he said he didn't know that Mike Harris, who eulogized at his brother's funeral, whose son he perished in their is a lifelong friend, he said, oh, I didn't know that Mike Harris was the Of chart, even though the retirement home industry had lobbied for the last year to make regulation changes, and the idea that he drove to his cottage to check the pipes on Easter weekend the problem with frozen pipes that would have manifested a month earlier. Well, I, I, you know, I'll give him that. I mean, that's the thing. See, we're in a position right now where we're giving him that. I don't care, I'm gonna break him over the coals for that. But I'm saying, Doug Uh, Ford hasn't changed, he's just demonstrated, I think, or what he appears.
5: He's either there. There's a side of Doug Ford that either he's a terribly good actor or it just, you didn't see it, you didn't see it before. When he's on, I think why he, why many of us who, I never thought positive word, I have to be frank about Doug Ford, would come out of my lips. <laughs> but in fact, it has recently. And what he seems to have demonstrated in, in these press conferences or daily briefings he has is real empathy for people. Hmm. You don't always think, now you can say his policies before this happened. Where you know played exactly against that but on the other hand when he's standing there there, there appears to be a real human connect and uh, I think that's
3: helped a lot.
0: how can you hate someone who runs a cheesecake competition Exactly, I
3: sent you guys all of the recipe for it so you yeah, can yes, take yes. it this weekend
4: yes yes no he, he, he that, that Doug has Doug Ford has has shown a side to him that will have political currency afterwards. I, I don't doubt that. But I, but the idea that he could parlay this into what is not 24 well. sessions. Who knows where it'll be by then? <laughs> Motel 6. Or another but, Motel 6. <laughs> you know, we do have to remember that Doug Ford still doesn't speak French. He's still a terrible debater, and he doesn't give a good speech. So I think he should try to shore
5: up. And, and he's here
3: of
4: Ontario with all those negatives.
3: Right, but look at who's running the United States of America. Like,
5: <laughs> well,
0: yeah, alright we're, we're winding down here to last thoughts here. We have five minutes left. Is there anything on any of your lists we haven't touched on or you'd like to come back to?
4: One abstract thing I'd like to say is just, you know, we govern ourselves by narrative. You know, we, we anticipate things. And I think part of the tension that's going on behind any arguing over economics and health is we expect the next scene. We're ready now. We're, re- we're ready for start the, you know, the, the rising motion, right? We we want the recovery. We, we want the redemption. We want all that to happen. And yes. we're doing it. We feel that all instinctively. We haven't really examined it. But that's part of the pressure that's growing is we just, you know, we're in a Beckettian and play and we don't realize it, you know, <laughs> that's, that we there may not be. <laughs> That next thing for a even though we all instinctively feel it, and, and, and we could hope, Tim and everyone. I, I would hope that, although I'm
5: not optimistic, this will long be the case. But that the new normal, when this is over, will be a better normal. Somehow, out of this, we will learn some really important le- lessons about. Well, That's it. a fact. statement of faith. <laughs> up, you know, I'm, I'm the stage where I gotta have faith. And yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> we learned something too about the environment. Right. And uh, we haven't touched on that, but it's amazing—it's not amazing, but it is notable what has happened to the environment. That you can, in fact, see fish in the Venice canal. That you can see mountaintops you've not been able to see before. That the air is cleaner, and it's notably so. I'm wondering how long we'll hang on to that realization. We can only hope that the new normal is a better normal.
2: Yes. I fully (laughs) hope we. We can communicate that to the people who are going to be making decisions about how we move forward through this, right?
0: Well, it, it, not four or five days ago, I heard on the CBC the Mayor of, uh, mayor of Montreal, Valerie Plante, talking about uh, the discussion she's having uh, with her council in Montreal about providing more uh, uh, room on streets for pedestrians and cyclists. Until that would be like speech from Mars. I mean, you, you'd never hear that in a major Canadian city. Now they're talking about it. Yes.
1: Yes. And to be fair, but, but uh, Valerie Plant did campaign on that sort of thing and active transportation. Sure.
5: Now's the, now's the chance. Yeah. Now's the chance.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. All right. Anything else?
5: Stay home. Stay home. Wash your hands. <laughs> It's a lot. It's a lot easier, you know, for us introverts than it is for for many of my friends who are not introverts. I'm having easier time of it than a lot. A lot of people are. So a lot too depends on your your makeup. This is our time to shine, Sylvia.
0: <laughs> Wait a minute, Sean. You can't get on that bus. You're no introvert. <laughs> All right. Well, Tim, Sean, Jenny, and Sylvia, and Laura, thank you so much for doing this. Now, in addition to this radio show, Pines and Politics streamed live from the Trinity website, and we have the podcast. at. Uh, Pines and Politics, ptbopodcaster.ca, and you can find an episode of this show. Uh, it'll be number 85, uploaded, as I mentioned. Uh, we post uh, on Twitter at Bill Temp and on our Facebook page, Pints and Politics. Please join us here at 92.7 on your dial and return next week. And if you miss us on the radio, you can always download the podcast I just mentioned. Any feedback, please comment on the podcast website I just mentioned. Thanks for listening. Until Thursday, May 28th, uh, when our student panel returns to look at the environmental movement, my name is Bill Templeman.